And uh, could you please turn with me to uh, Leviticus, chapter 8, 9 and 10, starting on page 75. And on your way in you would have received this outline, that will be useful as well. Page 75, looking at Leviticus 8, 9 and 10. In his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis uh, tells of uh, one of the children who ask another child, another character in the book about Aslan, the lion, the great lion, who is a Christ-like character in the book. And she says, Is he tame? Frightened at the thought of meeting a lion. Of course he isn't tame, was the reply. But he is good. Friends, we know that God is good. But sometimes we forget that he isn't tame. Our passage today reminds us that we mustn't be presumptuous. We mustn't take him for granted. Before we look at it though, let me briefly remind you of where we're up to in the book of Leviticus. We'll remember that uh, in Exodus, God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. He was bringing them to the promised land. And on the way they came to Mount Sinai where God spoke through Moses and gave them many laws. And he commanded them to build a tabernacle uh, like a mobile temple. And last week we looked at chapters 1 to 7 of Leviticus where God gave various regulations about how to worship him in this tabernacle. And we saw there were a number of offerings prescribed. Uh, The burnt offering uh, where the result of it was that, that God is pleased. Uh, There was atonement made through that. There was a grain offering to please God. There was a peace offering or a fellowship offering uh, to, uh, as a sign of of peace and fellowship between between uh, people and God as a joint meal together. Again, after atonement has been made, there is a sin offering and a guilt offering uh, to get forgiveness. Again, after atonement and, if necessary, reparation. Now, in order for these offerings to be made, they needed priests. And so chapters 8 to 10 of Leviticus described how Aaron and his sons were ordained and began their service as priests of this holy God. And we're going to work through these chapters together, flying over some bits, looking at this more detail, and before asking what are the implications for us Christians today. Well, chapter 8 deals with the ordination of Aaron and his sons. Now, there were lots of people at the ordination. In fact, God told Moses that the whole assembly was to come at the front of the tent of meeting. And the first thing that happened to the priests to be ordained was they got a good wash. Verse 6 of chapter 8. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. There was cleansing. And once they were clean, they had to be properly dressed. Now, back in Exodus 28, God had already given Moses instructions about the priestly clothes, and so they were all ready. And verses 7 to 9 tell us how uh, God wanted him to dress Aaron, the high priest. So first he put on a tunic. That's that white thing that's like the undergarment in there. And he tied a sash around it. And on top of that he put on his robe, which is this blue thing that you can see, uh, sleeveless. 
And then he put on this ephod. That's the ephod. See that brown thing there? Collecting up there and up there. Okay. It's like a vest or a waistcoat made with very expensive yarn. And on the ephod there is this breastplate. Uh, the breastplate has 12 gems and they, hold, they carry the names of the 12 sons of Israel or the 12 tribes of Israel. So Moses put the ephod and the breastplate on Aaron and inside he put the Urim and Thurim which were special items that were used to find out God's will. Probably they put it in a pouch in the ephod. They put the turban on his head and a golden crown on that. And uh, Exodus 28 says the crown is actually a plate of pure gold with these words engraved on it, Holy to the Lord. Now, when Aaron the high priest was all dressed up and ready to go, Moses got the tabernacle ready. Now, verse 10 says that he anointed it and everything in it with oil. Uh, that was made to a special recipe that God had given in Exodus 30. So Moses anointed the altar and the basin and the stands, the utensils. Well, the purpose of all that is to consecrate them, to make them holy, to set them apart exclusively for God's use. And then, verse 12, Moses took some of the oil and anointed Aaron's head. And so he was also holy, set apart for God. He also dressed Aaron's sons as priests with tunics, sashes and headbands, but not the, the full paraphernalia of the high priest. And stage one was now complete. They had finished the washing, dressing and anointing. So you go to stage two, which are the offerings. Because you see, the problem with Aaron and his sons is they weren't really holy in and of themselves, were they? And so before they could minister in the tabernacle, they need atonement to be made for them. And so Moses, in verses 14 to 17, offered a sin offering. You may remember from last week how the sin offering usually worked, uh, but the big difference here is that Moses did the job of the priest. He was a priest for the priests. All right? So Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull. Then Moses killed it, poured some of the blood on the horns of the altar. as the altar of burnt offering. He poured some of the blood there, and he poured the rest on the base of the altar. He burnt the fat on the altar, and uh, because it was for priests, the rest of the animal was not eaten by the priests, but burnt outside the camp. And so, through the death of the bull and the shedding of its blood, God forgave Aaron and his sons. Well, the second offering was the burnt offering. Again, Moses played the part of the priest for priests. Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the ram. Moses killed it, threw the blood on the sides of the altar, cut it up, washed the parts that he'd washing, and burnt it on the altar as an aroma pleasing to God. And so Aaron and his sons were able to please God. The third sacrifice was one we didn't look at last week, that's called the ordination offering. It involved a ram. Aaron and his sons, as usual, laid their hands on the head of the ram to identify with it as their substitute. And then Moses killed it, because that's what should have happened to them. But the ram died instead. Then Moses took some of the blood and placed it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, the thumb of his right hand, and the big toe of his right foot. Now, commentators give all kinds of reasons why these parts of Aaron's anatomy were chosen, uh, but the Bible doesn't actually tell us. So, whatever the reason is, Moses put the blood on Aaron, and the rest he threw on the sides of the altar. Then he took the fat of the animal, some bread and wafers, some right thigh, put it in the hands of Aaron and his sons, and waved them before the Lord as a wave offering, and then burnt them on the altar, as God had commanded him to do. The breast he waved before the Lord, and he kept it as his food, and the oil and blood he sprinkled on Aaron and his sons. 
And so, Aaron and his sons, in a special priestly clothing, were consecrated. And the rest of the animal? Well, Aaron and his sons were told to boil it at the entrance to the tent of meeting, which is out here somewhere, and to eat it on the same day. Any leftovers? What do you burned up? If you're very smart, and you were here last week, you may, rem- you may think this sounds very, very much like the peace offering. It does, doesn't it? No, you would have noticed that, I'm sure. Where God, the priests, and the worshippers enjoy a fellowship meal together after atonement is made. Here it's God and the newly ordained priests. Sins forgiven, pleasing to God, enjoying fellowship with Him, consecrated, made holy for service. But they weren't ready to start their work yet. Step three, Aaron and his sons had to stay in the tent of meeting for seven days, 24 hours a day. That's a long wait, isn't it? The reason, verse 35, you will stay at the entrance tent of meeting day and night for seven days and do what the Lord requires so you will not die. For that is what I commanded. Well, that's a good reason, isn't it? Aaron, why, why seven days? We don't know, but we know that's what God commanded. And if you're a priest in the sanctuary, you do exactly what the Holy God commands. You don't muck around with him. And so if he says you stay there for seven days, you stay there for seven days. Well, fast forward, and seven days have passed. And the eighth day, the priests were ready for action. So in chapter 9, Moses calls Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he tells Aaron to offer a sin offering for himself again, because the one that happened a week ago needs to be supplemented, and then a burnt offering. And then then he would offer a sin offering for Israel, and a burnt offering for Israel, and a fellowship offering for Israel. So, Aaron slaughtered the calf as a sin offering for himself in verses 8 to 11, killed the calf, put his blood on the altar. Then he offered a burnt offering for himself as well in verses 12 to 14. Having done that, he did it for the people. He offered a sin offering for the people in verse 15, doing it exactly the same way as he did his own, killing the animal, which was this time a goat, and putting its blood on the horns of the altar, and put the rest of the blood at its base. Verse 16 and 17, he burnt the burnt offering for the people. 18 to 21, the peace offering or the fellowship offering for the people. Verse 22, he blessed the people. And then having offered the sin offering, the burnt offering, and fellowship offering, he stepped down. And in verse 23, it says that Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting together. And when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of God appeared. And the way God's glory appeared was by sending fire, verse 24, to suddenly come in and in a flash consume the burnt offering and the fat portions that were slowly burning on the altar. And when people saw this, they fell face downward before the Lord. Because he'd shown a little bit of his holy power. And it was scary. But what happened next was even more scary. It involved two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. Nadab was the first son of Aaron, and Abihu was probably the next. Not long beforehand, they had gone up Mount Sinai with Moses and Aaron, at least part of the way, and glimpsed the glory of God. They had just been ordained in this long ceremony we've just seen. 
They helped their father Aaron with the sacrifices that he offered, sacrifices which were acceptable to God. And now with Israel, they witnessed the glory of God manifested in their midst. These were priests, leaders among God's people, people who were closest to God Himself after Moses and Aaron. And when fire came from God to consume the burnt offering, they wanted to respond in worship and to express their worship of God. They took their senses, which are the things that hold incense, and they put fire in them and added incense and spontaneously they offered it to God. Now back in Exodus 30, God had commanded Aaron to burn incense on the altar of incense in the holy place every morning and every evening when he tended the lamps. But God hadn't told him to offer incense otherwise. Later on, God would give Aaron instructions about using incense in the holy place on the Day of Atonement, but this is not this either. This was unauthorized, or literally strange, fire. An innovation in worship. So verse 2. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord, and consumed them and they died before the Lord isn't that scary the fire from God that had consumed their sacrifices now consumed them the fire that beforehand was the proof of God's blessing was now the instrument of God's judgment and Nadab and Abihu Died before the Lord. Friends, our God is an awesome God. He is holy. He is not tame. He will not be domesticated. You can't muck around with Him. Remember what we learned last week? We worship God on His terms, not ours. God tells us how to worship Him. We don't make it up. Remember Hebrews 12 last week says, Let us worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Nadab and Abihu got used to him, habituated perhaps to his holiness. After all they'd seen, all they'd done, perhaps they were overconfident. Perhaps after spending a week in the tabernacle, they felt they could start taking it for granted. You know, we belong here. Maybe they thought they knew what they were doing. They were priests. Free to modify things a little to express their worship of God. They were presumptuous. And you can't be presumptuous with God. Verse 3. This is what then Moses said to Aaron. This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Those who approach God or literally are near to God in the Old Testament, they are the priests. And among them God said, I will show myself holy. They cannot approach me in any old way. They must approach me the way I say. And if they don't, they will experience the fire of my holiness. And in the sight of all people, I will be glorified. And I will be seen to be the holy God that I am. And so at the end of verse 3, Aaron 
remained silent. Perhaps he was in shock. Perhaps he was thinking. Perhaps he was running over the events of the day. For unbeknown to Moses, he had also made a mistake that contributed to the death of his sons. And we'll see what that was in a few minutes. In the meantime, Moses had to deal with the aftermath. There were two corpses in the tabernacle. And if anyone touched a dead body, they would become unclean. So instead of getting his brothers, the priests, to carry them out, Moses called on Nadab and Abihu's cousins, verses 4 and 5. Moses summoned Mishael and Elzaphan, sons of Aaron's uncle Uzael, and said to them, Come here, carry your cousins outside the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and carried them, still in their tunics, outside the camp, as Moses ordered. Outside the camp was the place where the sin offerings of the priests and the community were meant to be taken and burnt. But today the burnt corpses of the priests themselves were taken there. That too had ironic significance, didn't it? Then Moses told Aaron and his other sons not to mourn. Verses 6 and 7. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not let your hair become unkept, do not tear your clothes, or you will die and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. But your relatives, all the house of Israel, may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. Do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting, or you will die, because the Lord's anointing oil is on you. So they did as Moses said. The rest of Israel were allowed to mourn, but not the anointed priests at that time. Their priority was to serve God in the tabernacle. And nothing, not even the death of a relative, could get in the way. The anointing oil on their head showed they belonged to God exclusively. They, they were holy. And they couldn't risk leaving the tabernacle and becoming unclean. Their commitment to God took priority over everything else. Well, you can sort of understand that, but the next thing God says is even more surprising. And you, you wonder what it's doing here. Verse 8 and 9. The Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. It kind of makes you suspect, doesn't it, that maybe alcohol was behind the rash move of the two priests who died or, or even the mistake of Aaron I've hinted at which contributed to their death. We don't know, that's speculative. In any case, verses 10 to 11 give us the main reason to be sober. You must distinguish between the holy and common, between the unclean and the clean, and you must teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. See, the priests would offer sacrifices and to remind people, to work out for people what's holy, what's clean, what's unclean, and we'll look at those three distinctions next week. They were to teach God's people His laws, and, see, they were dealing with the things of God here. And they needed to be careful, more careful about them than, than anything else. This is dangerous stuff. See, there are many areas you can make a mistake and it doesn't matter, but holiness is not one of them. We've seen that today. The priests need to have a clear mind for these responsibilities. 
verses 12 to 15, Moses tells Aaron and his remaining sons to start eating up their share of the offering. He reminds them of the rules about what they get to eat in the sacrifices. Uh, stuff, we're not going to go through the details because we went through that last week. Uh, it's a repeat there, but maybe it's just to reassure that God's plan for the priesthood hasn't changed. But, last week, I want you to think back about the sin offering last week. Uh, if, I'll refresh your memory if you can't remember. We saw that the priest could usually eat the meat of the sin offering. Right? If the offering was for the priest or the whole community, then the blood would need to be taken into the holy place. Right? Because the blood, remember, has to penetrate as far as the sinner does. Gets as close to God as the sinner. And if it was for the priest or for the uh, uh, whole community, then the meat not offered to God would be taken outside the camp and burnt because the priest is not supposed to eat the sacrifice for themselves. Right? It's only sacrifices for other people. But if the offering was for leaders or individual members of the community, blood needn't be taken into the holy place. It would just be poured on the, uh, sprinkled or, and poured around the, block, the bronze altar there uh, because that's as far as the people went into the tabernacle. And if meat was not offered to God, or the meat that wasn't offered to God would be given to the priests to eat in the sanctuary. Now, you understand that? Remember that? Okay? Now hold that in your minds. Here's what happens in verse 16. When Moses inquired about the goat of the sin offering and found that it it had been burnt up, he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's remaining sons, and asked, Why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary area? It is most holy. It was given to you to take away the guilt of the community by making atonement for them before the Lord. Since its blood was not taken into the holy place, you should have eaten the goat in the sanctuary area as I commanded. Aaron replied to Moses, Today they have sacrificed their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, but such things as this have happened to me. Would the Lord have been pleased if I had eaten the sin offering today? Now, what's happening here? Moses says the priest should have eaten the sin offering. Why? Because the blood wasn't taken into the holy place. And if the blood's not taken into the holy place, that means it's one of the offerings that the priest can eat. So they should have eaten it, not burnt it. Or should they? What was the sin offering for? If you look back, the sin offering was for the community, wasn't it? Now, if it was for the community, where did the blood need to go? It had to go into the tabernacle as far as the priests went. Because the priests were representatives and part of the community. That is, it had to go into the holy place. That's what Leviticus had commanded earlier, what God had said. But where did Aaron take it? Back to chapter 9, verse 15. Aaron brought the offering for the people. He took the goat and the people's sin offering and slaughtered it and offered it for a sin offering as he did with the first one. Okay? So what did he do with the first one? Chapter 9, verse 9. Start from verse 8. Aaron came to the altar and slaughtered the calf as a sin offering for himself. His sons brought the blood to him. He dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and the rest of the blood he poured out on the base of the altar, which is the altar of the burnt offering out here. 
You see, Aaron only took the blood of the sin offering, both the sin offering for the priest and the sin offering for the people, as far as the outer court of the tabernacle. He should have taken it all the way in, according to what we read last week. He should have sprinkled some on front of the curtain, and the rest of the he should have put some on the altar of incense, and he should the rest of the blood he should have poured out on the altar of burnt offering out there. But he only took the blood as far as the altar of burnt offering. We don't know why. Maybe he got mixed up, because every other sacrifice that's what you do. In fact, Moses made the same mistake when he offered the first sin offering for Aaron and his sons at the beginning of the week in chapter 8. Or you could possibly argue there, though, that they weren't yet priests, and so it didn't matter. And perhaps Aaron was just following what Moses did instead of what God had said. And it didn't seem to matter at the time, did it? Until Nadab and Abihu offered unauthorized fire. Now that's bad enough, but where would they have done so? Friends, the place where incense is usually offered to the Lord is the holy place. Not only had they offered incense that they weren't supposed to, they had entered the holy place without blood. And you do not, you must not, approach God without the blood of a substitute. No wonder God struck them dead. And remember how their burnt bodies ended up outside the camp? That's what's meant to happen to the priests in offering, wasn't it? Or rather, that's what was meant to happen to anyone who approached God without the blood of a substitute. It's just that the sin offering was there to be the substitute. And so poetically, they ended up where the sin offering was meant to have ended up for them. Now, Moses seemingly hadn't realized this blunder. And he was very angry when Eleazar and Ithamar with, with them when he found out that the goat of the sin offering for the community was not eaten. Because as Moses rightly said, the sin offering which the blood doesn't go into the holy place is meant to be eaten by the priest. And he thought they were messing around with God's instructions again, but he forgot the blood of this sin offering was meant to go in the holy place. It didn't. And Aaron and his sons must have realized this mistake. And if this mistake is discovered, what do they do? Do they eat it or not? And Aaron rightly said no. The sin offering in question was for the whole community and therefore the priest is part of the community and representatives of the community should not eat it. They would not eat it. It was burnt outside the camp. The Lord would not have been pleased if they ate it. And so verse 20, when Moses heard this, he was satisfied. Well, friends, we've been thinking about the ordination of Old Testament priests this morning. But how does it apply to us? Where do we fit in the picture? What is God saying to us as New Testament Christians through this passage? Well, the first thing that we're reminded of immediately when we look at the Old Testament priesthood is that Jesus is our great high priest. 
Jesus is like Aaron in that he represents God to the people and he represents the people to God. He is our mediator. He offered his sacrifice for sin to God on our behalf. The sacrifice that God was pleased with and accepted. Jesus is like Aaron. He is our great high priest. But Jesus is different from Aaron. Aaron had to sacrifice for his own sins first because he was sinful. So sinful, you may recall, that he was one of the people behind that golden calf idolatry incident when when Moses was up the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. Aaron was sinful and needed forgiveness. But Jesus didn't because Jesus is perfect. Let me read to you Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26. Talking about Jesus, he says, Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. And there we see the second difference between Jesus and Adam uh, and Aaron. Aaron offered animals. Jesus offered himself. He was the perfect sacrifice for sin. He lived the perfect life and offered it up in his death. He was our substitute, the one who was slaughtered in our place. He took our sin, our guilt, our punishment when he died on the cross for us. And his sacrifice really worked. His blood shed for us really does take away sin. He was the infinite God made human to die a human death for human sin on behalf of human beings. Aaron offered animals. Jesus offered himself. Which brings us to the third difference. Aaron's sacrifices needed to be repeated. Even in his ordination he had to repeat his sacrifice for himself. The sacrifice offered for him by Moses at the beginning of the week didn't last to the beginning of the next. But the sacrifice of Jesus was once and for all. So great was his sacrifice that it covered sin, even sin not yet committed. His one perfect sacrifice on the cross deals with all sin. And so those who trust in him can be confident that we are forgiven. Aaron made mistakes. Jesus didn't. Jesus is our great high priest. However, the New Testament recognizes us and all who belong to Jesus also as priests. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people belonging to God. And uh, in Romans chapter 5 or 16, Paul talks about his priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. So the Gentiles would become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And Revelation 1.6 talks about the him who loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. See, together, we are priests, all of us who belong to Jesus. We represent God to the world as we make his gospel known, and we represent the world to God in prayer. And as priests, we can learn some lessons from the ordination of Old Testament priests. What do we learn? Well, first of all, 
we learn that we only approach God, God's way, through the blood of Jesus. So we need to take to heart the example of Nadab and Abihu. God is holy. We must not violate his holiness. We do not make up the way he is approached. He does. We do not come to him without the blood of a substitute. We must never try that. He will be shown to be holy among those who approach him. How do we approach him? Only through the sacrifice of Jesus. Only by faith in the one who died for us. Aaron and his sons were washed, sprinkled with blood before they could approach God. The same thing happens to us by faith in Jesus. Only our high priest didn't make mistakes about bringing the blood in. His sacrifice completely deals with our sins. Read with me Hebrews chapter 10. In light of what we've seen. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that's a priestly function, isn't it? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Remember that drawing near? I will show myself holy to those who draw near. To God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water, like, like Aaron and his, and, and his sons at the beginning of their ordination. See, we approach God His way through the sacrifice of Jesus. Entering God's presence because the blood of Jesus is there beforehand. Secondly, like the high priest in the temple, we are to be fully devoted to God. Aaron could not mourn his sons or attend their funerals because his duty to God came about that. And he had to be fully devoted to him. In Matthew chapter 8, a man came to follow Jesus. But he said, Lord, first let me go... Uh, sorry, can we come to the next slide? Thanks. First let me go and bury my father. Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. See, Jesus wanted this man to be as devoted to him as the high priest was to God. That's what he's saying. That's the standard of priesthood that's set before us. Jesus takes precedence even over members of our family. Now, following Jesus will generally mean that we look after our families because that's what Jesus wants us to do, isn't it? But there may be times when we can't do that. When what our families demand or expect clash with the known will of God. And when that time comes, we have to remember that, like Aaron, we are priests of the Most High God. And we must be fully devoted to Him. Thirdly, we are to worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Remember how God's fire consumed the two sons of Aaron? We'll take you back to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 28. Page 853. It's not going to come up on the screen, I don't think. Is it? No, it isn't. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 11, page 853. We went there last week, but we'll go back there again. Read verse 28 and 29 in light of Ahab. Uh, in light of the two sons of Aaron. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful 
and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire how do we do that? keep on loving each other as brothers do not forget to entertain strangers for by doing some people have entertained angels without knowing them remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoner and those who were mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering marriage should be kept honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because the Lord has said never will I leave you never will I forsake you and so we say with confidence the Lord is my helper I will not be afraid what can men do to me remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings it is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace not by ceremonial foods which are of no value to those who eat it we have an altar, a cross, from which those who minister the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy places of sin offering, but their bodies are burnt outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for a city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Friends, that's how we worship God, isn't it? We're not, made, we're not given the liberty to, to make up how we do it. New Testament worship is not ceremonial like the Old Testament is. It includes what we do in church, but doesn't just include what we do in church. It includes our singing, but doesn't just include our singing. It's how we treat each other, and how we live our lives for Jesus every day. Worship involves all of life, and we're to do it with reverence and awe. We are to live our lives in the presence of God, knowing that wherever we go, Whatever we do, whether at work, or at home, or at the shops, or here in the congregation of God's people, we are standing in His presence. We are His priests. Every day, we are priests in His temple. And we live our lives standing in awe before Him. Fourthly, as God's priest to the world, we need to be clear-headed and sober. We've seen a hint that alcohol might have been involved in the tragic deaths of Nadab and Abihu, but whether it was or not, the priests were not to drink in the tent of meeting. We've not been given the same prohibition, but we have been told not to get drunk, and for similar reasons. The Old Testament priests had to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, to teach the Israelites the decrees the Lord had given through Moses. And as New Testament priests, we need to work out the right from the wrong in our various situations, applying God's word and, and teaching what he said. And when we get drunk, we compromise our moral judgment. As priests of the Most High God, we cannot do that. Do not get drunk with wine, 
but be filled with the Spirit. Fifthly, we are reminded that the greater the responsibility given to us, the greater the judgment for wrongdoing in it. See, Nadab and Abihu, they were a greatly privileged pair. They had first-hand experience of God that all the other Israelites could only dream about. Had positions of leadership among God's people. Great responsibility. And when they went wrong, great was their judgment as well. The New Testament book of James warns us that not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. The greater our privilege, the heavier the responsibility. Two last things to say before we close. First, let me try and uh, clear up one area of possible confusion uh, when it comes to the priesthood. We've seen how the priesthood of Israel uh, has got some correspondence to the, the priesthood of all believers in the New Testament. Uh, we've seen how that Aaronic priesthood, that the, the priesthood of the Old Testament is taken up and fulfilled, completed in the priesthood of Christ, and the New Testament knows no other class of priest. New Testament talks about the priesthood of Christ, is our great high priest, and we have the priesthood of all believers. So, where does that leave people like me, who are called priests? Are we kind of like out of a job or something? Well, the answer to that is yes and no. I am not as priest in the same sense that Christ is. For me to try and take the place of Christ would be a form of blasphemy. I don't offer sacrifices for sin, don't represent you to God, and I'm no closer to God than any one of you who trusts in Jesus. I'm a priest in the same sense as you are. That is, we are all priests. We all pray for each other. We all offer the sacrifice of praise by telling people how good and great God is. We all give the sacrifice of our lives as we live and care and love other people. So why am I called a priest in the Anglican denomination in the way that you're not? Well, the answer lies in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. And other passages are like it. Let me read that to you. The elders who direct the affairs of the church, well, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain, the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly, so that others may take warning. So we see that some people in the early church were called elders. Not priests in the Old Testament sense. Nothing to do with priesthood. Their job was to direct the affairs of the church. And for some of them, it it involved preaching and teaching. They were to be paid for their work. They were to be safeguarded against false accusations. But since their ministry was a public ministry, if they sinned, they were to be rebuked publicly. And these elders, the word for elders there, is the Greek word presbyteros. It's a completely different word from the priest word, which is eros. Yeah, it doesn't even sound the same, does it? Now, presbyteros, if you bring it to English, is presbyter. And if you shorten it, it's priest. So at the Reformation... When the Anglican denomination broke free from the ideas of that uh, the priest did the kind of things that the Old Testament priest did, we kind of like kept the term priest, but because people were kind of used to it, and with the understanding that it's a short form of the biblical presbyter, 
not the priest in the Old Testament sense. Does that make sense? Okay, let me go through it again. All right, the Bible word for elder is presbyteros. Right, in English, it's presbyter, and it can be shortened to priest. The Bible word priest in the Greek is eros, and you can just in the Bible you see the word priest. Now, that's confusing, isn't it? <laughs> All right, but that's church for you. Okay. Um. When you see, so whenever you see the word priest in the Bible, you know it's that one. Right? Whenever you see priest in the Anglican denomination, you know it's that one. Okay? Um, I guess it's okay to call me a priest, as long as you know what you really mean. What you really mean is presbyter. Uh, but if you think that somehow or other I stand between you and God, like the priest in the Old Testament, or you find it confusing then the best thing to do is drop the term. Right? Because standing between you and God, being your priest, that's the role of Jesus, not the role of me. And that's one job you don't want to kind of like usurp. Right? I've already been warned about messing up with God's order. Okay. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. Finally, as we leave the passage, let me remind us again that God's character does not change God has not become soft and cuddly to fit in with our culture's expectations of him God is holy and pure and cannot tolerate sin he is not tame and cannot be domesticated and we must never try to approach him on our own we mustn't even think that we can rock up at his presence with our own good works and think they're okay or imagine that being religious can help us in the last day. Because you or I, are we are sinners before a holy God. One day we will have to face him. And the only way for sinful people like us to approach a holy God without being consumed by his judgment is through the blood of the substitute. The only way is through Jesus. He is our high priest. It's his blood that can cleanse us. And if we miss that, then we die. There is no other way. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the lessons you've taught us today from your word. We acknowledge that you are indeed a holy God and not to be trifled with. Please forgive us for the times that we forget that and we become presumptuous. Father, please help us to keep on remembering our place, that, that we are sinners, but that you in your great love for us have provided a, a substitute, you provided a sacrifice, You've provided a great high priest so that we can enter your presence without, without, without fear. But Lord, help us to keep remembering that it's, that it's only because of what you've done that we can do that. Father, we pray that you help us uh, to worship you appropriately with reverence and awe every day of our lives. May we live our lives in front of you knowing that you are watching everything that we do. 
And this whole of our life is a great act of worship to you. Help us, we pray, uh, to be people who uh, do uh, spread your word, who do love others, um, and who do um, keep on trusting uh, in Jesus and in Him alone. Not looking to ourselves or our goodness to, to approach you, but, to, but trusting in His blood uh, and His high priestly ministry on our behalf. Help us, we pray, to look to Him. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.